Amen. You may take your seat. Thank you, AJ. Thank you, Brent, for leading us in worship. Um, like Brent said in the beginning of the service, I have the opportunity to, to bring the message today. I must confess that I am much more confident and uh, at home with a guitar hanging around my neck and singing songs. But I am glad that I have the chance to do this here this morning, so much so I have two copies of my sermon, a digital and a hard copy, just in case I get lost, I'll get very lost. I don't know why I have to, anyways. Um, but yeah, I know I've met Brent about 12 years ago when I first came to Canada um, at a Northview Community Church when I had my first uh, gig as, as here in Canada in ministry. I did my um, worship um, internship there, and it was a great opportunity for me to, you know, to transition between doing ministry in Brazil and coming to Canada and start doing ministry in Canada. How, what are the differences? Um, of course, the English is the most of all, but culturally, there are a lot of other differences as well how to approach people, how people here react when you come and hug them. In Brazil, they receive you, right? They hug you back, right? Here, I sometimes don't know if I, I should shake hands, but we're learning. But one, <laughs> one thing that I, uh, that I remember very well when I had the opportunity to lead worship at Northview for the first time was, you know, everything was new for me. New country. Uh, Priscilla, my wife, is Canadian, but she's from Winnipeg. But we decided to come here because, you know, Winnipeg, let's go to BC, <laughs> right? And we didn't ha have like a lot of people that we knew here. So it was a lot of new things for us. It was like a big adventure. But it happened that uh, I was at Northview. And because it was like new musically, I was very confident because I went to my school. I was leading worship for about, I don't know, over a decade by then. And so I, I knew how to do that, but I had to do it in English. So that was a very hard thing for me, especially because my English was pretty broken. It was like uh, I couldn't find all the words, so I was pretty nervous, right? And Northview, as you know, it's... Uh, large church, so uh, leading for 2,000 people alone can be a little intimidating. How much more if you don't really speak the language, right? So I decided, okay, I'm going to write everything down. I'm going to practice. I'm going to memorize the transitions between song and prayer and how to, like from the beginning, how to, gonna, how to greet the church and to the end, how I'm going to pray, right? And I had everything Rehearsed, so I find, my, find, my, find my, myself on Sunday morning before 2,000 people, and I'm okay, yeah, I'm nervous, right? Okay, I got my mental script on, and there we go. As soon as I step forward to say good morning to the church, I dropped the guitar. It came off the, you know, it came off, and as it came off, came, came down, I quickly tried to recover, and I hit the mic. So that came down as well. And I am like grabbing everything here and in my mind, I'm okay, God, if you just keep my pants on, I'll be fine. <laughs> right? 
and let go of my pants, devil, right? But anyways, I am the only one that probably remembered. You don't remember that, do you, Brett? No, you don't. But I do. And it was really traumatizing for a while. I got super nervous for years on how to approach the church, how to come and lead, right? Everything new and with the tra tragedy that just happened to me. Um, but I learned that God looks much deeper within, right? It's not a how, you, how well you play, how well you sing, if you hit the right note in the end. Yeah, those things are all important. I heard that, AJ. Uh, he hit the wrong note. It's a gift and a curse, I guess. I can to hear everything. But it's not about that. It's about our hearts before God. So we're going to be talking about worship this morning, right? How, how everything that we're studying now in the, into the wilderness series, the book of Genesis, ends in worship. Everything. Everything is pointing to one thing and one thing only. So when Pastor Kyle came to me and he asked me to prepare a sermon, gave me the texts, right, like the, the chapters to work through. And I don't know if you had a chance to read these five last chapters of the book of Exodus. It's a lot of details of construction of the tabernacle, of the tent where God wanted to abide among his people. So if you are a number kind of guy, a numbers, or you know, if you are a carpenter or something like that, you can visualize all that in your mind. Not so much with me, right? So when I, <laughs> when I first got the, the Bible reference to work on, I thought, okay, Kyle, you dodged the bullets again, right? But it didn't take long for me to, to actually realize the treasure that I was about to, to work with. How rich and how deep we can dive in and learn um, throughout, through these chapters. The book of Exodus is pretty much, I don't know, I think of it as a big movie script or TV show, right? It could do, like, it could be a very cool TV Netflix series or whatever. But it's, it's so good because so many apps highs and lows, there is the, the problem, okay, the world is about to end as we know, right? And then there's the chosen one, the Mo Moses. God brings Moses to free the people and to lead the people in the wilderness. And we can think of many illustrations of like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of movies we watched. So just before we go over these Chapters. Let's quickly look back and see, put the context here of what we are doing, what we're going to be diving to. So if we quickly look back, you're going to see, okay, God, God's people, they have been slaves for over four, 400 years in Egypt, and they were suffering. It was getting heavy. So God wants to free his people, right? So he... Raised Moses for that task. Then Moses 
tries to do on his own. He kills an Egyptian and he finds out, yeah, I cannot do this. So he runs away, right? And he stays in the desert, gets married, have a family for 40 years out of what God originally wanted for him as he knew. Um, after a while, God speaks to Moses again, right? Through the burning bush. And Moses goes back to Egypt. And him and his brother Aaron, they go before the Pharaoh to ask him to let God's people go. Pharaoh doesn't care. So God sent the ten plagues over Egypt. And that... Uh, makes uh, Pharaoh think a little longer and he let God's people go and worship God in the desert. In the desert, the wilderness, God feeds and provides for his people for years. Um, gives them the Ten Commandments, as we've seen a few weeks ago. God's glory comes down in the Mount Sinai. Everybody sees, right? The display of power, everybody gets scared of that. And then God calls Moses to go up to the Mount Sinai where God gives him the vision of the tabernacle. And he stays there for 40 days. So much so that the people build the golden calf, right? They decide to, okay, let's create our own God. And... We know that story we've seen a few weeks ago. And then the next episode, God reveals himself to Moses again, where Moses sees God passing, going through, and he sees God's back, right? And then last week, we saw that God gives the people uh, the, the Sabbath to rest, a day of rest, a day to dedicate to God himself. And here we are. Five last chapters of the book of Exodus. And they are very, very important. You're going to see that's the culmination of all things that we've been doing and learning here. Because this is actual, the, actually the, the construction of the tabernacle and everything that is in there. So chapters... 25 or around there is God giving the measurements like the blueprint. And here is more, okay, hands-on. People are building. People are bringing the offerings. People are bringing their gifts and their talents to build the tabernacle and the furniture and put everything in order. So whatever was in the blueprint is now here. They can see. They can build. And inside that, well, one of the main symbols of the entire Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, covenant, right? Which is, to this day, where is it? Or it's a big, big symbol. It symbolizes the present presence of God. The tabernacle, what is tabernacle? Well, nothing more than a tent. Well, the word tabernacle itself means the habitation, the dwelling place. And God wanted to do that because... He desired to be with his people. God wanted to be with Israel and live among them. And be there. Um, so that's why God decides to build this tabernacle. 
So in the tent where God will dwell among his people, the and the tabernacle means exactly that, the dwelling place. And it was a movable tent, right? It was not like, uh, like this place, cannot move, because wherever the cloud, the presence of God moved, they were supposed to pick up everything and go until the cloud would stop. The presence of God would stop. And that they will set up everything again and they could worship there. And that's exactly what they did. So let's take a very quick look here on the chapters by chapters. Okay, you're not going to go read every single chapter, but chapter 35, after we saw last week the Sabbath, we see on verse, uh, verse 4 that says like this, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. From what you have, take an offering from the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord. And then here comes the list, very specific, specifically. And in the list, you're going to see gold. You're going to see silver, bronze, all kinds of gems and, and beautiful things. Everything that is precious, precious and beautiful, as well as spices and oil for the incense. And not only that, but what they have, but also what they can do. Later on, we're going to see that God is calling people and putting his, his very own spirit to enable people to work to build this thing, this tabernacle. So um, they were to bring also their talents. He calls all the builders to work. Talented, gifted people to put this tabernacle together. So that's chapter 35. 36, the people gave so much. Can you believe this? People gave so much that they have had to say, enough. And verse 6 says like this, then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. They had so much that they had to, okay, stop bringing. We have more than enough. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all work. We're going to also see the details of the curtains, about the frame, the bases, the posts, hooks, and crossbars for the tabernacle. So there's so many details about all this. On 37, chapter 37, if you haven't read, uh, I just encourage you to go back and go over these, chap these chapters. It's uh, amazing. Chapter 37 says, um, he goes over the furniture inside the tabernacle, the details of the ark of the covenant, the, how much wood and how much gold involved in that, and the measurements and everything. The table um, and the dishes made of pure gold. The lampstand, which is another iconic symbol, right? 
the lampstand of the tabernacle was um, about 75 pounds of pure gold. And it keeps on going on, talking about the altar of incense. And again, more gold, more valuable, more like richness, right? Talks about the anointing oil, the incense, and all that. Chapter 38, we're going to see that he talks about what's outside. So all this is inside a tent. Now, 38, he's talking about what's outside, what's in the courtyard, like the parking lot, right? <laughs> not, not quite, but kind of, which has an altar of burnt offering. They would bring their offerings, their ox, their sheep, and everything that they would bring to sacrifice to, to God for atonement of their own sin. Again, wood and gold. The basin for washing, for the priest to wash uh, their, their hands, it's just bronze and mirrors. The courtyard was built with posts and all overlaid with silver. The bronze and the line, uh, the linen, uh, the bronze and fine linen for the curtains. And chapter 38, too, is very interesting because it starts to give um, the account of everything, all the material that was used there. Uh, I try. I was very curious. So, okay, let me see. Well, there's a lot of gold. It's probably the most valuable thing here. Let me see what uh, that represents to this day. So the total amount of gold used to build the tabernacle was 2,193 pounds of gold. And then, I, okay, let me research. Uh, as of last week, the pound of gold uh, was worth $22,372 times 2,193. That's uh, pretty much $50 million just in gold to build a tent. To build a tent, right? It's not any tent, but it's a tent. Uh, it's amazing. Well, I went to Costco the other day to buy me a tent. Uh, it was about 200 bucks, and I thought, that's too much. <laughs> Let me go to MCC. <laughs> right? We're talking about a tent here. Actually, the estimate um, value to the cost to, to build something like this today would be at least $200 million. Um, I'm going camping this week. Uh, we upgraded to a, a pop-up trailer, right? It's a little better than a tent. We've been tenting for a long time. And Priscilla always wanted to have a pop-up trailer. So, okay, we finally had a chance. It doesn't get even near this, this tabernacle, right? Not only that, the tent is one thing. Then there's the garment for the priests. And if you read that, you're going to see uh, how, how amazing it is too because there was like an ephod, like, um, kind of like an apron of fine linen, then a breast piece with like gold, right? And lots of stones, gems. Um, 
There's a robe, a turban, a plate, and so on. So lots of gold, a lot of, a lot of richness expressed right there too for the priest. Can you imagine like Kyle coming, right? He, with all so fancy. I can never see Kyle uh, doing anything like that. But then on the chapter 30th, or 40th, sorry, um, there's some specific, specific um, or, uh, guidelines of how to put all together, how to set up a tent facing this direction, put the walls around, put the furniture here and there. This is how they're supposed to be. And then on the verse 34, chapter uh, 40, says like this, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So on top of all that, the glory of, the, of God filled that place. So just think of this as the final scene of this movie, right? This temple, this uh, tabernacle, the, the gold and the majesty, and then the presence of God that were with them just entering that tent. It's kind of like, yeah, they did it, right? What a great ending. What, talk about ending a high note. How special how, and how uh, unique that sacrificial system was. And I'd say, yeah, they did it. They, the Hebrew people that were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, um, they took all they wanted when they were, God freed them. They took all they want, all they could from Egypt. The gold, the silver, the linen, everything they had. And God fed them in the, in the desert, kept them warm at night. And God gave them the victory when they had to fight their enemies. All that so in the end they could build this worship sanctuary, this place where God could abide so God could live among their people, right? God himself could abide, dwell in the midst of his people. So I can even see the, the credits rolling up after the scene. It's amazing. But you know what's, uh, even though having all this glory, all this gold, all this majesty and glory, this this tabernacle is not even the real thing. It's not exactly uh, where God dwells. Even though it's, it was so magnificent and rich and glorious, it was just an image of God showed him in heaven. All this was just a representation of something better and far superior 
It was just the foreshadow of something much more glorious, much more majestic and eternal. And Moses' tabernacle, as glorious, glorious as it was, is just an image of the real one. And we can't forget this. Because if we can barely uh, picture all of this in our mind, how much more can we imagine what is, how is the eternal one in heaven? And if you keep reading your Bible, you're going to see that the whole book of Exodus is just a foreshadow of something much greater, a, a greater plan. All this, the Israelites, the Egypt, the slavery, the plagues, the law, the tabernacle is nothing but a big prelude of something superior that was to come, of something eternal. Plan not only for Israel, to free Israel from slavery, but plan to save the whole world, not only temporarily, but eternally, once and for all. And we see this if you go uh, forward in your, in your Bible in the book of Hebrews. We will see very clearly how in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, referring to Moses and the tabernacle, the author says on verse uh, 5 of chapter 8. It says, they served at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. So all that, the sacrificial system, the worship that they, they had was just the shadow of the true and better tabernacle. The true and better system. A true and better, priceless, incomparable and incorruptible eternal sacrifice that is Jesus. So understand this, that everything we've seen for the 12 past weeks here, um, everything is pointing to one and only thing. And as the whole Bible does, that's pointing to Jesus so if we compare very quickly here, Moses' ministry and Jesus', Jesus ministry, we're going to see for Moses, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. In comparison to Jesus, the whole world is slave to sin. Moses was sent to free God's people. Jesus is sent to save all mankind. They tried to kill Moses when he was a baby. Well, they tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. Moses was rejected by his people. Jesus was rejected by his people. Moses spent 40 years in the desert. Jesus spent 40 days fasting and praying in the desert before the, the ministry. God showcases his power through Moses. While Jesus showcases God's power, his own power. Moses frees the people from slavery to Egypt. Jesus frees those who believe in him from slavery to sin. Moses gives the Ten Commandments. Jesus gives us a biggest, the biggest commandment of all. 
Moses gave, us the, uh, gave the law and how to live, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Moses gives water from the rock. Jesus is the rock that gave us living water. God makes a covenant with Moses. Jesus is the new covenant. And Moses made sacrifices for the people, that system. Jesus is the sufficient sacrifice for us all. Furthermore, in the book of Hebrews, we will see in the chapter 9, the author starts describing the worship in the earthly tabernacle. He goes from the beginning of the, of the, ver- the chapter there. He talks about how it was and how, how things were set up. Uh, the tent, the holy place, the most holy place, and the Ark of the Covenant. But on verse 6, he says like this. When everything had been arranged like this, everything in place, like Jesus, like uh, God told Moses, and they used to do, this priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on the ministry. So the outer room, he's talking about the holy place, where he had the lamp, where he had the table with the bread that represented God's presence, and the incense that were supposed to be burning like an offering to God 24-7. So they would go in there and, you know, get things, light would never go off. The offering would always be burning, the incense. And there's always all the elements over on the table. But, verse 7, but only the high priest entered the inner room, which is the holy of holy, most holy place. And that only once a year, okay? He could enter the presence of God where the ark was only once a year and never without blood. The only way he could go in is if he did the sacrifice out there in the patio, in the altar of sacrifice. So he needed that blood. And the blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. Everyone would confess their sin, but he would make even a a bigger sacrifice just in case someone forgot to confess, right? Verse 11 says like this, When Christ came as a high priest of the good things, they are now here already. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. So verse 11, he started to referring of what Jesus did for us. His sacrifice, not in that earthly, golden, beautiful tabernacle, but a far superior one. Not made by human hands. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Thus obtaining eternal redemption. So it wasn't a sacrifice he made. He didn't kill 
an animal, you can get the blood. No, his own blood. Verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls are the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. Sanctify them so they, can, they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead us to death, so that we may serve the living God. So if the blood of goats and bulls and calves and heifers would allow the high priest to go once a year in presence of God, how much more then will the blood of Christ do for us? And I keep reading verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only one a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. He used to do that once a year. Once a year. Once a year. He didn't have to do that. The way the high priest enters a most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer, would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of ages to do with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of, of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for, me, uh, for him. How much more glorious, eternal, eternal. So the book of Exodus, in the end, is just a foreshadow, foreshadow of what Jesus did for us. It's an eternal, more complete, greater, and more perfect tabernacle. So the same way that um, Moses was used, God used Moses to free his people, to go through all what they went through, so in the end they could worship God in the desert. And that's what we saw, the culmination of all that, this cloud of the presence filling the tabernacle. The same way Jesus frees all humanity from slavery to sin, to a greater, a more perfect high priest, Jesus with a greater, greater and more perfect sacrifice himself for an eternal and greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven. So for us to have a greater and more perfect and eternal worship. So now we can understand and appreciate maybe a little more all that we've been studying here for the last 
12 weeks, we can see how much more glorious, how much more like, greater and perfect is what Jesus did for us. That in Hebrews 10, we, we can, can read, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled with cleanses for us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold the hope we profess, for we, for he promised, he who promised is faithful. And we can enter this presence of God so boldly, so free because of the blood of Jesus that paid the price for us. And call this God our Father. We can gather together every Sunday here to worship God in freedom. Sitting, standing. Free from all accusations. All accusations of sin. There's no more place, no more condemnation. Jesus died once and for all. And we have the presence of the Holy Spirit abiding in us. And we don't need to do anything to, des to deserve, to earn that. It's all done in the cross. One commentator says, this is our position in Christ. Our permanent entry to the family of God through a, spirit, a spiritual rebirth of the spirit and acquired by faith in the promise of God in Jesus. Oh, as a worship director, every time I come to prepare or plan service, um, my goal is always the same. It's point to Jesus. That's even what I, I tell our other worship leaders. When you're picking your songs and selecting just point to Jesus. It's all about him. It's not about the songs. It's not about, those are just tools. Just things that will facilitate the worship. And that's my, my philosophy of worship. This is what we should have in mind, in our minds, in our hearts, when we come here every Sunday to worship together. It doesn't matter if you're a great singer. It doesn't matter if you drop your guitar or your mic. It does not matter. It's about one and only thing. It's all about Jesus. So we sing because it, are it is our testimony. We sing because we need to remember. We need to remember these things. We sing because it is God's work in us. We sing because God calls us to. So I want to invite you to stand as the team comes up and 
Let's sing together. Let's declare the greatness of God. Let's declare how awesome, how faithful, how good he is. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for, for dying on the cross for us, for paying the price, for being the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, there's nothing we could do to deserve, to earn, to pay back. There's nothing we can do to impress you. There is nothing, Lord, but just offer our lives back to you. That's the only thing we have. That's the only thing we can do. So listen to your word. Hear your, your voice, Lord, and, and obey you and, and worship you. Father, I pray that you would make grow in us a love, a passion, uh, a bigger understanding, a mindset. Lord, would, would you grow in our hearts as a church, as your people? One heart, Lord, one vision, one goal that is to make you big in this place, in our lives, in everything we do. And Father, as, as a little bit more is re revealed to us of who you are, may our eyes turn to you, our hearts incline to you, and our voices declare your greatness. In Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.